0: Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of having a special guest with us. His name is Colin Carr, and he is the founder and CEO of Carr, which is a commercial real estate company. And He's going to talk to us today about all things veterinary real estate. Welcome to the podcast, Colin.
1: Thank you. I appreciate being here.
0: Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I think you're going to help some of our listeners understand a little bit about veterinary commercial real estate do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you
1: do absolutely so uh grew up in northern michigan in a little resort town called charlevoix Uh, moved to colorado when i was 20 and uh, i took a unique path uh, career-wise i uh, didn't know what i wanted to do uh, when it came to education so audited a handful of college courses couldn't make my decision. And so I jumped into real estate when I was 19 and that's that's all I've ever done. And so I'm uh, 20 years in now and uh, have had the privilege of representing uh, well over a thousand clients. And today uh, I'm the CEO of a company that uh, is nationwide. We do transactions in all 50 states and we have the, the privilege of helping uh, several thousand healthcare providers per year with their real estate uh and i specifically have had the privilege of working with uh dozens of animal hospitals and i've done everything from uh thousand square foot satellite uh offices to uh the largest animal hospital in colorado which is over 40,000 square feet and everything in between so we're we're passionate about helping healthcare providers and specifically we we love the veterinary industry and uh have a great time helping helping vets
0: Okay. So what is the, let's say the first step into getting into this world of real estate, especially commercial real estate, because I think that is an intimidating thing for most veterinarians because, you know, we just are seeing our patients and doing our thing. And I'm sure working with all the healthcare providers, you have similar experiences, but what would be your first um, piece of advice, I guess, or first step? How do we go about getting into this world.
1: Absolutely. Well, you're you're exactly right. I mean, as a as a veterinarian, you're focused on the the clinical side, the medical side, and there are a lot of business components to owning and running a practice that there's just frankly not time to address when you're in school and in residency programs. Uh, and even after you get out, you you know, you you start as an associate or start working somewhere and, you know, learning the business aspects of how to own and run a practice is typically not part of, uh, part of the equation.
0: Yeah. It's when pretty it, intimidating when you get into it.
1: Well, and there's so many parts of it there. I mean, as you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's the hiring and HR and there's the operations side, and then there's the, the overhead side. The, the best piece of advice I can tell someone when it comes to commercial real estate for an animal hospital is, is don't try to do it yourself. There's a lot of things in this world that you can take a do-it-yourself approach, and you can, you know, get online and you can Google and search and watch tutorial videos. When it comes to commercial real estate, that is not uh, that's not one of the areas you want to. <laughs> you experiment. don't want to fool
0: around, right?
1: <laughs> no, and it, it, there's 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 a lot on the line, and it's it's more than just the economics. There's so many business deal points that affect the transaction. And again, this gets into the idea that there's a big difference between residential and commercial real estate. So sometimes you have people that have maybe done the residential transaction themselves or bought a house, and they think, well, yeah, that wasn't so hard. You know, I could try it myself. When it comes to my my hospital, it, it's it's night and day different. There's there's literally dozens of things you've got to look out for during a commercial transaction. And so my first piece of advice is find someone who specializes in representing tenants and buyers, because if you're going to be Acting uh, as a veterinarian, you'll be a tenant or buyer of, of real estate, whether you're leasing or purchasing. And find somebody who has uh, the ability to help you in the area that you want to be located in, that understands the area, and they can protect your interest in the transaction.
0: Does it vary from state to state? I know I'm from Michigan. You said you're from Michigan, Michigan. And now you're in Colorado, which are bo- both beautiful states, Well, by the way. But is there a difference in each state? I imagine there is, right? Law-wise and...
1: Yeah, the, so the laws are different in each state, absolutely. Uh, the, the biggest difference is we start out saying, okay, first of all, you've got you've got real estate as a whole. There's a huge difference, as I mentioned, between residential and commercial real estate. If you're doing a transaction as a veterinarian, you need to find somebody who understands and specializes in commercial real estate. Very few real estate brokers do both residential and commercial, and typically when you hear people say, I do both, it usually means they do both uh, average, if you will. That's
0: a danger sign, huh?
1: Yeah. I mean, the best commercial brokers do not touch residential, and the best residential brokers don't touch commercial. And yes, each each person is qualified and licensed technically to do those transactions, but they don't really have the skill set to do it. Okay. So that's the first part. The next part is when you're looking for someone to represent your interests, you've got to realize the difference between being a tenant and buyer or being a landlord and a seller. And you've got to understand that you can't hire you can't hire an agent or a broker to represent you if they also work for the landlord or the owner of any properties that you're considering or that are in your area. That becomes a very obvious conflict of interest. And we we joke about it, but it's the equivalent of somebody you know, somebody's suing you, and then you asking that attorney if they can help you or give you advice. Like it, it doesn't right. work that way. You've got so to even find- if it's a
0: if it's a lease, you're finding somebody for your interest,
1: absolutely separate
0: from the 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 landlord.
1: Absolutely. And what happens oftentimes is people, you know, maybe you're maybe you're driving home from work, or you're out and about in a weekend, or maybe you're just exploring an area. And you see a property that you like. And so you, you think it's innocent enough. You you pick up the phone, you call, and then you start talking to that agent. But that agent has a fiduciary obligation, a legal obligation to protect the seller or the owner client and to help them get the highest possible lease rate or price they can. Like they have, they have a legal obligation as their exclusive agent to help that owner capitalize on the deal. And oftentimes that line gets blurred. And so you get this listing agent on the phone. That's, Maybe they're they're very cordial. They're answering questions. They send you brochures. They send you information. And you're thinking to yourself, man, this person's really nice. He or she's doing a great job getting me information. They're responsive. But what you don't realize is they have a legal obligation to negotiate against you. And right, so and
0: becomes,
1: that's not good. <laughs> no, exactly. So it becomes very important just to realize, hey, uh, it's not about, you know, sometimes people get really emotional when it comes to transactions. It's not about whether you like the person, or you don't like the person, whether they treated you with the respect you were looking for. None of those things matter what it comes down to is you have to realize you've got to have someone to protect your interests and there's too much on the line for you just to fumble through it or to hope that the person that you're talking to is going to going to get you the information you need without compromising your position.
0: So it's worth your time, your energy to invest in finding somebody that can really be on your side and negotiate the best deal for you.
1: Absolutely. And it, it's the same reason that that. That owners bring their their pets and their patients to you is because they recognize that you have a skill set that they don't have. They could probably search it online. They could probably talk to a friend. They could probably you know fumble through it. But they realize you know what? It's not worth it. There's too much on the line. And when you make a mistake when it comes to healthcare or medical, you know obviously there there might be more of a more of a dramatic uh, price to pay with that. But it's really the same thing when it comes to your real estate. You know there's different size spaces, there's different uh, values, depending on if you're, if you're, you know, downtown, you know, Manhattan, or if you're in Orange County, or if you're in, you know, rural Nebraska, there's going to be a difference in prices. But th- the bottom line is in most transactions, whether it's a purchase, there's usually six figures of, of margin in play. If it's a lease, there's oftentimes 100000 hundred to $250,000 worth of uh, concessions, lease rates, annual increases, Tenant improvement allowances and other concepts that are negotiable. That if you mess up on that, it, it costs a lot of money.
0: And you won't realize it on the front end. You won't realize it until it's too late.
1: Absolutely, that's exactly it. It's the the insult to injury is you. Yeah, you you pick up on it. Uh, you know, a year, a year and a half later, when you, you decide to call someone just to check to see how you did, and they let you know that you left, you know, literally two hundred thousand dollars on the table, and then you ask the question, "What can I do?" And they say, "You can." You know, wait out the other seven to eight years of your lease and then we'll fix it in eight years from now.
0: Yeah, which is, by then you've lost a ton of money. Exactly. For sure. So, do you have uh, recommendations for, let's say, somebody in, out there in the veterinary world that's thinking about either owning a practice, becoming an owner, or perhaps they already own a practice but they don't own their real estate or um, they're thinking about buying. Do you have recommendations on uh, when you would decide to lease versus when you might decide to buy? Are there financial or um, uh, I guess I'm timeline considerations when you're making that decision? That you have recommendations for them?
1: Absolutely. So veterinarians owning real estate uh, is is an outstanding decision, uh, but it really depends on the the age, the type of your practice, and, and where you're at in your career if you are going to go do a startup, the odds of you outgrowing the space could be very high. And so, right. you know, I mean, you're going go to do a startup, you're, let's say it should be just you. Long-term, you have a goal to grow it to you know, several doctors and to you know, maybe bring in some specialties, whatever whatever your plans may be. You, you're, you're probably not going to be ready to take down a four or 5,000 foot space. You might be looking at a, a, a 2,000 foot space or a 2,500 foot space. So one of the considerations as far as whether you lease or own starts with where are you at in your career and, and what is your, what's your game plan? You know, how many, how many doctors can work in one space at one time? Uh, if you want to do a split schedule, maybe you want to work three days a week, that's your game plan. And maybe you have another, another uh, doc that can work the other three days, whatever it looks like. You have to start by saying, all right, what size space do we need currently? And then what's our space needs going to be over the next five or 10 years. If you find yourself in a place where you say, Hey, I can jump right away to four or five thousand square feet, or I'm going to do this with a partner. Um, then then maybe ownership from the very beginning makes sense. If it's a startup, there's there's more variables. Typically what we recommend with a startup, and then I'll hit the other ones you mentioned. But okay. if it's a startup, just look at all your options. I mean that's that's the best way to do it is look at everything for lease, look at everything for purchase, um, look at look at retail strip centers, look at standalone buildings, look at all your options. That's the best advice I can give someone is don't don't predetermine your head that you have to own or have to lease or that it has to be a certain type of property. You can favor those buildings, but start by knowing all your options. Don't, don't make an uninformed decision based upon what you think makes sense and then later realize that you could have found a much better property if you would have done your due diligence. So that, and is that,
0: that something you help people do? Like, Would they come to you first before they even know what they want?
1: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. The, the, the typical process is someone says, hey, you know, whether it's, I want us to do a startup or I want to relocate my office or I want to know my options. And then a a good real estate agent will take all the information, all the requirement, they'll go to the market. They will uh, do a lot of due diligence and evaluate what could be dozens of properties. And then they'll narrow it down to the top, maybe five to seven, if there's that many available, sometimes there's only two or three, depends on the market, but they'll narrow it down to the top properties. And then they'll go show the doctor, the client, their top options, and then that way the doctor's not wasting their valuable time, you know, sifting through and looking at dozens of properties that don't make sense. That's the job of a good real estate agent, and then at that point you see the best properties. It might be three, might be four or five properties. The next game plan then is you want to negotiate with multiple owners simultaneously. Okay. And that's that's different. That I
0: wouldn't think. That's yeah, that's odd to me, but
1: yeah, it, well, because in residential you go look at properties, and then when you find the house you like, you write a contract. And especially this market, you write a contract quickly because there's so much competition out there. Right. And if the owner says yes and they sign the contract, you're under contract. You're legally obligated to pursue the process then. In commercial real estate, there's too many variables. You, you, can't, you can't sign a lease or go under contract um, right away because there's oftentimes, if it's a purchase, there's less variables. But if it's a lease, there's dozens of considerations to figure out and you've got to whittle those down and work through those typically in what's called a a letter of intent. It's, an, it's a non-binding, uh, non-binding document, it's referred to as an LOI or an RFP sometimes. And you use that instrument to negotiate with three or four landlords simultaneously or, or owners simultaneously. And then that helps you make the best choice of your practice. The benefit of that process is that you don't have to wonder, did I leave money on the table? Did I push hard enough with this landlord? If you negotiate with three or four landlords or owners simultaneously, and you go two or three or even four rounds of negotiation, you're going to know at the end of that process that you did, in fact, get the best deal possible at the current time in the market in that, in that area. And that peace of mind is invaluable.
0: Yeah, it sounds like um, having those options laid out in front of you would allow you to get the best deal and get the best you know, value for the money that you have to invest, I'm guessing
1: absolutely well because people always ask well how do i know how do i know i'm going to get the best deal possible and it's like all right well we're going to create checks and balances we're going to we're going to go to the market look at all the options narrow it down you're going to tour those top properties you're going to pick which ones you like and then we're going to go multiple rounds of negotiations with those landlords or sellers and you won't wonder did we leave money on the table you're going to know that you got the best deal possible and that peace of mind is again it's everyone wants to get the best deal and i'm all for the best deal but the peace of mind knowing that you didn't overpay or you didn't miss seeing a good property or that you didn't miss an opportunity is worth a lot of money. When you think about, hey, I'm, I'm making this decision, and it might be uh, a one-time decision every five, seven, or ten years for a lease, or it could be a one-time in your career if you purchase the building. You, sure. You, you want to know that you made the right choice.
0: Yeah, you definitely don't want to purchase a building and then change your mind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that would be that would be a disaster, I would think.
1: Yep. Now, when it comes to other scenarios you mentioned, maybe somebody buys a practice and they they are in a lease, or maybe somebody uh, did a startup a while ago and they're in a lease, and you're asking the question, "Should I consider owning?" The answer is absolutely. If, if you're a veterinarian, uh, you should always consider owning. Doesn't mean you're going to purchase, It doesn't mean you're going to own, but you should always consider it. And again, if if you're downtown you're downtown Seattle and there's no options for you to own, then you look for the best opportunity for your practice when it comes to what's the best location, what's the best access, parking, uh, what's the best quality of space, and you focus on doing the best you can with what's available. If you're in an area, however, where there are opportunities to own or to buy land and build your building, especially for an animal hospital, we highly recommend considering that. And that consideration, we—I I get into a lot of depth and detail here. I'll try to keep it pretty pretty surface just to, to, to keep it easy for everyone listening there's really three places that you're considering the economics when you buy when you buy a practice or sorry when you buy real estate and you compare that to leasing you're looking at number one first and foremost what is what's the difference between owning versus leasing up front for my cash flow if i'm going to buy a building what check am i cutting per month to own versus what check am i cutting per month up front to lease and that's the first okay. criteria. And if you if you right. can't clear that hurdle, then you move on to the next property. For instance, right. if your option to lease is six thousand a month, and your option to own is twenty five thousand a month, and you're sitting there saying, "I I can't clear that hurdle, or it's not worth it to me to clear that," then you move on to the next property. Wait, if you can clear that let hurdle. Got sir go ahead.
0: I'm sorry, this just popped into my head. So you're you're considering your payment. Is there a ratio that you like? The, is there a rule of thumb for how much? Let's say your practice is grossing, or you're bringing in as profit, versus how much you should be paying either as a lease or a, a building payment.
1: Absolutely. the The traditional rule of thumb you're going to hear most people quote is that you want your your rent or your mortgage cost to be somewhere around six to eight percent of your total revenue. That's that's a, okay. a pretty safe number. However, yeah. if if you're going from two thousand square feet to six thousand square feet, and you're planning on bringing on other providers and other, you know other aspects of the practice, you're going to add boarding, you're going to add some other aspect to it and you're going to grow the practice. You've got to run that equation of six to 8% based upon what you believe the revenue will grow into. If gotcha. you can get it and yep. you're currently at, that's great. But oftentimes you're not going to see that. And then especially if you're doing a startup, you know, you, there's no revenue until you open, you can't make those numbers work. But long-term the game plan is once you settle in to your lane and you get a practice that's running at a very healthy pace and, and not not all time highs not record setting uh still room to grow, but just a healthy pace if you can get your overhead in that six to eight percent you're in great you're in great shape um, but there are times when it warrants getting up to ten or twelve percent if it's the right location or the right opportunity
0: okay, sorry to interrupt it just
1: no, it's a great question it's a great question uh so First question is all right. What's the cash flow? What's what's the difference of a check that I'm going to cut if I lease versus purchase? That's the first equation. Right. The second one is you've got to factor in the tax deductions and compare the two. Uh, when you purchase commercial real estate, you get uh, to depreciate the asset, and you can depreciate some of the interior finishes over a shorter five or ten or fifteen year period of time. Uh, the overall structure gets depreciated over thirty nine years, and that depreciation for those that aren't familiar with that. Uh, it's basically a, it, it's a tax deduction. It's a it's a portion of the building gets gets given back to you as the owner in the form of a tax deduction, and so you can end up in a situation where maybe you pay more upfront on a cash flow position uh, to own than to lease, but you might pick up additional tax deductions that mean you're going to pay less taxes individually, uh, either monthly or quarterly, depending on how you do it. And so a good scenario is you might you might say, well, to lease it cost me six thousand to own it cost me eight or nine thousand. But what if you pay $2,000 less per month in, uh, in taxes? All of a sudden, the effective cost of owning comes down and you've got another equation to look at. And that's one thing right. that most people don't understand or focus on if they're, not, if they're not used to running a purchase versus lease comparison. Okay. Um, and then the last one you look at is what is the principal pay down? The, the main reason people purchase real estate is because they, they want the fact that every time they cut a check each month... A portion of that goes to interest, a portion goes to pay operating expenses, it taxes insurance with escrow, but a portion also goes to pay down the actual loan, and your net worth goes up every month. You know? Right. It's, it's like homeownership. You know you cut a check each month for 3,000 a month, and it could be that a1,000 $1, or 1200 or $1, 15 dollars per month, depending on your mortgage, goes to pay down that principal. And so every month your net worth increases, and you're building another asset for you individually.
0: Which doesn't happen when you're leasing because you own nothing.
1: Correct. Correct. Okay.
0: Yeah. So and that then, makes a lot of sense.
1: Exactly. And then there's other considerations like, it, you know, will the building appreciate, you know, uh, is it an up and coming area to where maybe the building will be worth more? Are you getting a good buy in the real estate to where uh, it's going to be worth even, even more than what you paid for and what you spent on the improvements? That happens all the time. Uh, and then long term from an exit strategy, if you're going to sell the building, the real estate, you're most likely going to sell it to another animal hospital because that's the highest and best use for your build out and your finishes. Uh, there's a chance to you know, make a a very sizable increase on what you paid for it and what it's worth because uh, it's a rare property. I mean, there, there's not a significant number of of class A built out animal hospitals in a market. There's Certainly, less people that are qualified to to buy that that real estate and to buy that opportunity. But when you find the right person and the right group, it, it oftentimes is worth a lot more than you paid for it.
0: And they're very purpose specific. Absolutely, you're not get, you're not going to turn um, too many veterinary hospitals into anything else because of the way they're laid out and built. Exactly. Right. So it makes them a little bit more valuable, I would guess, as opposed to buying a commercial building that's just empty.
1: Yeah, that, because because the cost of build building them out and then equipping them and all the all the other little aspects and components that go into it. So you're exactly right.
0: Okay. All right.
1: The the long and short of it there is this. If you're going to consider purchasing real estate, which if you have a lease coming up, or if you bought a bill or bought a practice and you're in a lease, you should be at least considering that. Whether you do it or not, you should at least understand the numbers so you know how they compare. It, it, it's not hard to find someone to help you run the numbers and this do your due diligence. But it is very important to actually then do the detailed analysis of purchase versus lease. Don't just try to ballpark it on a napkin. Does this make sense? Or people will break out a mortgage calculator on their phone and run a quick number of leasing versus owning, but they don't take the time to get into the depth of the tax deductions, the appreciation, the principal pay down. And it's not very hard to do it, but you have to actually do that exercise to, to get a full picture on what makes the most sense, both now and over the next 10, 15, 20 years for your practice.
0: Okay. Um, now, in veterinary medicine, this is something I was thinking about earlier, there is a big shift right now into these small these small veterinary hospitals being bought by large corporations, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yes, I am. Do you see a difference from, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago, in the way you do these um, advising of veterinary uh, clients of yours um, and how to approach that with these large veterinary corporations? Is there a difference in the commercial real estate market because of this? I, I guess I'm not exactly sure how to answer, ask this question, but
1: it's a good question. Um, it, it doesn't really affect how we advise veterinarians when it comes to their office space. And here's why. I mean, if somebody if somebody's doing an office just to sell it within a very short period of time, you know, maybe we would, we'd have that discussion. But what we're telling, what we're telling veterinarians is let's find the best real estate that makes the most sense for you for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. If you decide to sell in three to five years, then, then if we got the best terms and the best location possible, it's, it's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. Right. And when it comes to commercial real estate, The majority of the larger groups that are buying animal hospitals are are not buying the real estate with them. Now, let me make sure everyone heard me. There are some of the larger groups that will buy the real estate, but the vast majority will focus on the practice and then they will tell the, the owner, the selling doctor, you can keep the real estate and then they'll write a 10 or a 15 year lease on it. And then uh, if that doctor doesn't want to own the real estate, there's a bunch of resources where there's groups out there that will come in uh, that are not part of the ownership group of the practice, but they'll come in and actually buy the real estate as well. And, and people, love, people love real estate that is leased by veterinarians, especially large, very strong financial veterinary groups. But, well, and yeah.
0: I'm guessing that if you owned the building along with your practice and you decided to sell the practice to a large corporation that having that building as a source of income for you wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. It's
1: it's a it's a it phenomenal, seems like that would
0: be a really good investment.
1: It's a phenomenal investment absolutely and it's funny it, it depends on the practice it's different every time but in the majority of scenarios that we see the real estate is worth more than the practice. Right? And yeah. that yeah I said the majority not every time there's there's definitely exceptions to that but uh but I mean we, we track this because we we work on several hundred practices or practice real estate deals per year where the, the practice is selling and there's real estate involved. And and our numbers are it's it's honestly about 75% of the time the real estate's worth more than the actual practice is. Hmm. So if you own your real estate and and you, you know, it's very common to do a 1520 at the the highest uh term you're going to see in commercial real estate is typically 25 years. It's not like residential. It goes up to 30 or beyond average loan being about 15, 20 years in, in commercial real estate. You, you buy a building and you, or you build, you buy a piece of ground and build the building. You pay your building off over 15, 20 years. You sell your practice. You could have a, an amazing an annuity, an amazing income source coming in. If you lease that, that real estate out, or you sell it and you, you, Get a sale price for the practice, and you get a sale price for the real estate. With the majority of time, the real estate being worth more than the practice, so it's a phenomenal way to to build wealth. It's a phenomenal way to create additional income source. And again, it's it's, it's hard to go wrong owning real estate for uh, for an animal hospital uh, if it's the right location and it's going to fit your needs for the long term.
0: Yeah, it sound it sounds like that would be a good retirement plan, or at least part of your retirement plan.
1: Absolutely. If you had it, if you had
0: a good piece of real estate to have someone lease from you. Exactly. Yeah. So, are there things if you were advising somebody, um, like major mistakes that they might make um, that you would warn against when they're going into this kind of decision?
1: Absolutely. The the first one I mentioned it already is the is the do it yourself. Don't don't try to be the right. jack of all trades. <laughs> Yeah, just, I, I hit it every time because I mean we literally get hundreds of calls per year from people asking us to look at their leases or asking us to evaluate their purchase, and it's it's too late. It's like, it's hey, too I, late. Yeah. I performed this surgery on my dog. How did I do? And it's like, ah, you did a really bad job.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then you can't take it back. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So, so that being the case, the next one we see a lot of this um, is across all of healthcare. Is a lot of healthcare providers will talk to their, their their colleagues and peers. And you know, maybe, maybe one of them built a building and maybe one of them did something recently, and they no question are gonna have some insight and wisdom to share, but they they lean too heavily on their friends, their colleagues and peers, and they let them determine market values or or who to work with and those concepts. And a lot of times they're they're getting really bad information. So their their friend bought a building or is leasing down the street, or maybe they're in a retail strip center and there's other businesses and they go and ask those people, Hey, what are you paying? And they, they use that information to determine if they have a good deal or a bad deal. But what they don't realize is the person they're talking to oftentimes didn't get a good deal. Right. Yeah. Getting bad advice, getting bad advice from people that are well-meaning but are uneducated or are not savvy is a very common problem in the healthcare industry.
0: Or even getting advice from the people that are trying to lease your building, or or you're trying to lease from, trying to get information from somebody that's on the other end of the deal.
1: Absolutely, yeah, because they'll it's tell you as every, well. Yeah, they'll tell you well, everyone in the center's paying this, or you've got the best deal possible. And unfortunately, they're a lot of times just lying to you. And right. it's it's hard sometimes for healthcare providers to realize like, how does someone just lie right to my face? Well, unfortunately you're dealing with somebody where that's their income source. And if, if they reduce your lease rate by a couple of dollars a square foot, or give you money, it costs them tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars over a 10 year period. And unfortunately they will just flat out lie to you. And I don't right. want to paint a picture that every landlord's a bad person or every listing broker is a bad person, but they'll tell you stuff. That's not true. And, and they will do it without, without even missing a beat.
0: Well, cause they're trying to make a dollar too. So you just need to have someone on your side.
1: Exactly. Exactly and that's why it's
0: important to get someone like you. Okay, so that's one mistake. Are there others that we need to be aware of?
1: Yeah, another one is, is not negotiating with multiple people simultaneously. And we we mentioned that, but I want to break that down a little right. further. Um, let's take the example of a lease renewal. Let's say that you are whether you bought a practice and you inherited a lease or whether you did a startup. Regardless, let's say you're in a lease scenario and your lease is coming up. You've got a negotiation in front of you and there's a pretty good amount on the line. Again, you look at the difference between a good lease or a bad lease over a 10-year period, it's it's a lot of money. If you go to your landlord, whether it's the doctor you bought the practice from, whether it's a a third-party landlord that's a big investor out of state that owns hundreds of properties, doesn't matter. If they think that you are not willing to move, you are going to get crushed in that negotiation.
0: And that's probably a hard stand to take if you have an established practice. It would be very hard to say, well, I'm going to move down the street.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so the, the landlords, and, and that's the reality is they're betting on the idea that you're not going to relocate. Right. And so if you tell them, hey, listen, uh, this is a great location for me. We got a great practice or I don't want to move or I don't have the time. Or if you don't start the transaction at the at the right time and you call them three months before your lease expires, they know for a fact you don't have enough time to make it happen. They're going to punish you for that. And, right. and people are, you know, people say, well, well, why wouldn't they just give me a fair deal? A, a landlord's definition of a market deal is the most they can get you to pay before you vacate.
0: <laughs> That's right. They're in it for the money, right?
1: Yeah. And, and I always run this example, this example, uh, it's the veter- the animal hospital, or let me say this, the veterinarians are no different. And you think about it, if you were going to sell your house and your house was worth $500,000 and your real estate agent said, Hey, listen." Uh, The other house in the neighborhood just went under contract. You've got the only house in the neighborhood for sale. And I know there's three or four buyers circling because they want to be in the school district or, you know, I talked to one buyer, their parents live right next door to you. It'd be their dream to have grandma and grandpa next door. Um, uh, I know we were talking about listing it at 500,000. That's what it's worth. I think we probably sell it for 600,000 because of the competition. Go
0: for it, right? Yeah. You're going to say, let's
1: go for 600,000. Yeah,
0: of course.
1: And so the landlord thinks the same way. They say, Hey, the lease rate should be $20 a square foot. If it was vacant, I lease it for $20 a square foot. But because Dr. So-and-so is already there. And I know for a fact that they cannot move. I bet I could push him at probably 25, $26 a square foot. Right. And all of a sudden that five, six dollars a square foot is an extra ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand a year times ten years, it's it's 200000 dollars. It's a 000.
0: lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money.
1: And then the reality is when you bill a dollar, you might keep fifteen cents or you might keep twenty five cents. So right. you make a two hundred thousand dollar mistake on your lease and you've got to go produce, you know, six hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand, a million dollars literally over the next ten years to pay that that mistake.
0: Ugh, that's scary.
1: So uh, a better game plan than just saying I want to stay or just picking one property or going after it uh, is to actually hire someone who's qualified, who knows what they're doing and have them go to the market and find all your options and then actually negotiate simultaneously with several owners. And then prior to you going back to your current landlord, you know exactly what the market bears, you know, if there's an option to purchase, you know, if there's an option to buy ground and build your own building, you you know what other landlords would offer you if you were willing to move your space. And it's not a matter of whether you want to move or whether you're you're hoping to move. It's the idea of you actually have something to compare it to now. Right. When you're in a space. Make a proper and, decision. Exactly. When you're in a space and you ask the landlord to give me a proposal, what you just said is you have no idea what you're doing. Like if right. you walk, if you walk to the landlord and said, hey, you know, I'm in your space right now. Uh, what would you do for me if I was willing to stay? I mean, what you what the landlord just heard you say, and this is I'm joking, but I'm also being serious too. What the landlord heard you say is, I have no idea what I'm doing. Please don't raise my rent. And I'm at your <laughs> mercy. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm well, totally at your mercy. So just be nice.
1: <laughs> exactly. Alternatively, if if you had a an expert that went to the market and they did their due diligence, they call your landlord, you know, 12 or 18 months before the lease expires and they say, you know. Mr. and Mrs. Landlord, uh, my name is my name's Colin Carr, and I represent Dr. So-and-so. Uh, prior to me calling you, we've already gone to the market to evaluate all their options. We've got two options for them to purchase. We've got two options to lease. They're all fully negotiated. Dr. So-and-so would be willing to consider staying and renewing their lease, but it'd have to be at very specific terms that make sense compared to their other options, and I will be submitting an offer to you based on what those terms are. And we look forward to seeing uh, what you guys come up with. And just understand, uh, Dr. Sons has been happy in the building for the last 10 years, but you are competing for their business now.
0: Right. And that puts you in in the driver's seat instead of at their mercy.
1: Absolutely. And again, we're not saying we're going to take advantage of the, of the landlord and try to get them to lose their building because they, they can't financially make sense of it. We're just saying you're not going to take advantage of us. We we know better now and we're gonna make sure that we get a fair deal.
0: And we're educated and we know what our options are. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And is there are there any other mistakes that we need to be aware of? Are those the two big ones? You know, Making sure you have all your all your ducks in a row before you go into these negotiations.
1: Yeah, I think I think other mistakes people make is that they they don't understand the they don't understand that there's uh, some really favorable opportunities for financing for veterinarians. I mean, veterinarians have one of the lowest default rates of of any healthcare industry, and uh, the healthcare industry as a whole has one of the lowest in, uh, default rates of any industry overall. So there, I mean, sometimes there, there's mistakes you can make with just choosing the wrong bank or the wrong financing source. Maybe you bank with somebody locally because they, you know, it's convenient and their location's next door, but they don't have a good, uh, they don't have a good ground up product if you're building a ground up building or, you know, they want you to put down an exorbitant amount of money and, and you can do that financially, but it, it, it ties up all your cash and that's maybe not the right decision either. So I, I think, you know, I I could keep going with other mistakes, but I think it's just really important to make sure you have the right financing, you have the right contractors, the right architects, uh, and there's a way to vet them out. And there's a way to make sure that you have the right people in place so that you don't, you know, give the person their first chance to design your space and they've never done it. Or you don't give the contractor the first chance to break into veterinary build outs when they've never done it before. It's, It's really important to hire people that are qualified that really know what they're doing.
0: And the, is there a time frame that someone would expect to be in this kind of a negotiation? Let's say, you know, you you decided, okay, I need to find a building, or I'm going to um, move my practice, or try to buy a piece of commercial real estate. Is there a time frame that you would say is typical, or does it vary um, with each um, individual circumstance?
1: That's a great question. That's actually one of the other mistakes that people make is exactly that is. Is they, they try to start the process way too early, like three four years out, uh, or they try to start the process, or they start the process too late. You know, they they're they're six months from their lease expiring, and they want to go uh, buy a piece of ground and build a building, and they don't realize that's an eighteen to twenty four months. It's going to take a while, right? Yes, exactly. The answer to that is, if, if you're going to buy a piece of ground and you're going to build your own building, you've got to start that process at least eighteen month in a, eighteen months in advance, and. The actual building process itself might only take seven to nine months but it, it's the it's all of the permitting and the zoning and the construction documents and the planning commission meetings and the town council or city council meetings that's the process that takes so long people a lot of times start thinking about you know building a new home in a master plan community where all the, the homes the floor plans are already approved and they can just show up and you know six months later they pop out a house and you're in in commercial, there's just too many other variables that you have to jump through and, and go through and process. If you're going to do ground up, you really want to start at least 18, if not 24 months in advance,
0: and expect it to take longer.
1: It, it, it can, <laughs> yeah, it can. Because
0: I, I put an addition on my building once, and it was it took a long time. Like you said, there's all the zoning, and then you have to go before the city boards, and a lot of things that you wouldn't expect. Exactly, And that was, that was with a current building, just putting a little addition on, I can imagine if you're starting from the ground up, exactly, you have a lot of hiccups along the way.
1: Yeah. And they, they'll, they'll, they'll move the goal on you too. They'll tell you, you know, it's an administrative yes. process and just fill out this form. And then three months later, they'll say, yeah, you know what, it's actually going to go before the city council. And then you need to have a couple of neighborhood meetings and you need to do that. And it just all of a sudden they, they change things.
0: Yeah. And even some of the cities that, in my instance, I had to go fight for trees in my parking lot. Like I had to literally go before the board and fight between having bushes and trees. So it, it gets very absurd
1: yeah, it <laughs> does. when
0: you're doing things with cities. So,
1: yeah. It so not- just be
0: prepared to be patient, I guess, yeah. would my be my advice.
1: Yeah. And then you get you get the politics of different city council members that are for sure. that are their friend owns a competing business and they're supposed to be <laughs> neutral and impartial. And unfortunately, they, you know, yeah, all that kind of fun stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay. So from the... 18 months at least, 18 to 24 months, right. and then what about like a lease um,
1: negotiation? A lease negotiation, right. you want to right. the right. process right at 12 months, and and here's why: if you start it, uh, if you start it, you know, two three years in advance, the landlord of your current property knows that you can't move out and that you're obligated to the lease, and so right. they're not going to they're not going to do anything for you when it comes to a negotiation for them staying. And if it's a new landlord, I mean, they're not going to hold a space off market for you for two years until you're ready to move in so that you can avoid double rent. And so you can start too early with a lease and you don't really have any posture because the current landlord knows that you can't move out. Or if you do, you got to keep paying them rent, which they're not going to be very motivated. And then the new landlords, same thing. They're not going to hold a space for you for very long. The other side of that coin is if you start the lease negotiation three, four months in advance or six months in advance, your current landlord is going to know that you're probably not going to have enough time to get a new space built out and the whole process completed. And you're going to end up in a holdover scenario where you're paying double rent or you're paying uh, a much higher rent in your current property while your new space is getting built out. Okay. Twelve. So 12 Twelve months really is the ideal scenario. And people will say, well, my process took me 16 months. My process took me longer. It can, if you have people that don't know what they're doing or, you know, or you run into some issue, but typically 12 months gets it done. And then if you say, well, hey, I don't know if I want to do ground up or buy a building or, or do my uh, current lease as a renewal or move, then you start 18 to 24 months out. And then you, you understand all your options.
0: Okay. To get all your information together and figure out what, uh, what you might want to do.
1: Exactly. And you're, you're always better to be early than late. I mean, it's, again, if you're, if you're too early and you have a good broker they'll tell you, Hey, listen, you know, we're a little early, here's what we should do. Or a lot of times people will say, Hey, can you just show me the market right now? So I understand what I'm working with and then when we get closer, I'll be better prepared. And that's, that's certainly acceptable as well.
0: Okay. All right. Well, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think we need to, to get out there?
1: I think we've covered a lot of good information. I, I, I think the summary is that the the people that you put on your team that you hire to help you are going to help make or break your project and make your life either, either a lot easier and a lot more peaceful or a lot more chaotic and, and challenging. And it, here's what I tell people people say, "Well, how do I know if it's a good person or how do I know one of the best ways to do it is just is this to ask the community is, is is talk to people in in the community talk to the people that you know specialize in in veterinary medicine, and the people that that have longevity that are there uh, not just to do a deal or two but are there because they believe in the industry or they believe in in helping." Uh, they have a reputation that, that is going to be there uh, and, and be a favorable one, not just for one transaction, but for the longevity. So talking, talking to healthcare providers, talking to other vendors, talking to people in the community, they're going to help tell you, hey, I've heard nothing but good things about this person, or here's you know, here's four or five clients they've already worked with, and you want to be your due diligence and make sure you've got the right person. And at the end of the day, you're going to know if you trust the person. You're going to sit down with the person and say, listen, I this person – is somebody that I would trust. And it's really, it's the same, it's the same, uh, equation or process that, that, uh, owners or patients are coming to you with. It's do they, are they going to trust you with, with their pet or their animal?
0: Uh, yeah. Sometimes it comes down to just having a conversation. And once you, once you do your background checking and, and talk to other people, also meeting with the person that you're thinking about hiring and feeling comfortable and going with your gut in some, in some fashion sometimes.
1: Absolutely. And we tell people, listen, if you meet with a, you know, if you meet with the broker or you meet with the contractor or you meet with the lender and you're not comfortable with them, then you you need to go talk to somebody else. It's that simple. There's, there's too much on the line. You can't just take the first person that shows up. If you're not comfortable, first person that shows up, someone that you have a thorough conversation with, do your due diligence and you like, and trust that person. Great. Go with them. But if you have a hesitation or you're not sure if this person's really going to do the best job for you, then then simply go to the next person and, and do your due diligence and interview more people and get to where you can make that decision confidently.
0: Right. And interview two or three and make sure that, that the, you pick the one that feels the best and that you've done the most work on.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So tell me where people can get a hold of you if they want to have question, if they have questions on the subject matter, or they're thinking about renegotiating a lease or buying property. How would they um, get a hold of you or somebody from your corporation to help them? If they're a veterinarian out there looking to get into this commercial real estate biz,
1: absolutely. Our website is car.us and that's C A R R.us. Uh, we are we are licensed across the country we do deals in in all 50 states plus DC we're doing stuff in Alaska and Hawaii believe it or not uh, we've got agents across the country and there's there's two options for people to click on on our website in the upper right hand corner they can click to find an agent and they can find someone who specializes in veterinary in the market that they're located in or nearby uh, or we also have a, a lease evaluation or evaluation page where If you want to do a lease versus purchase comparison or if you want to find out what it would look like to own, we'll we'll do a free comprehensive analysis for you in advance. Whether your lease has one year left or it has nine years left, we'll we'll give you all the information and equip you with, with the data to help you understand what would make the most sense for you in your next transaction.
0: And I also noticed on your website that you have a blog and you have some videos that people can watch to get more information as well, correct?
1: We do. Yeah, we've got... Uh, we've got uh, aerial videos of uh, numerous types of animal hospitals and clinics that we've done. We've got a lot of uh, educational uh, information and, you know, our philosophy is, you know, we, we love the opportunity to help and represent clients, but it, the foundation of our business is educating healthcare providers to protect them, that they can make the best decision for their practice. So we provide a lot of information uh, and try to do a, a really good job of being the subject matter expert and educate and uh, it's stuff whether someone chooses to hire one of our agents or, or someone else, they're going to be better off with the information. No question.
0: And the, yeah, and there's a lot of it there. So if somebody wants to get more information, definitely go to the website. It, it, I looked through it and there was a, there was a lot. So I'm definitely going to be back there visiting and, and learning some more about the subject matter. Cause it's really interesting. And, and it's really, I would encourage people um, that are in the veterinary field to really highly consider, Checking this out before you do anything um, with buying or leasing because it really is a, a major life decision for your practice. Absolutely. Yeah, and it can add to your your wealth.
1: Yep. Yeah. The the location itself. I mean, it's it's going to affect the you know the access, the parking, it, it, the visibility, but it also affects concepts like staff retention. I mean, your, your staff has a choice where they go to work every day. They have a choice sure. of the environment and. Certainly, the, the, the quality of care you provide, that's hopefully is paramount, but uh, the atmosphere, the culture, all those things weigh in. But a lot of things are, it, it, the location does matter. The, the access matters. The, the quality of the space matters. And it also affects uh, patient referrals and, and future business. So outside of just the obvious economics and overhead that commercial real estate uh, affects your practice, there's a lot of other variables too.
0: Quality of life. Absolutely. That's what, that's what we're all about, right?
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I thank you so much for joining me today, Colin. It was really interesting. I learned a lot. I hope the people out there did as well. I just really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Yes, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Have a great week. You too. Thanks. Bye.